our daughters had finally come to age where we could leave them at home by themselves. Not just for the evening, not just to go on a date, but to leave for the weekend. Like we could go away and I would go speak somewhere or my wife and I would travel and they were old enough to finally be able to stay home by themselves. But before we left, we had a checklist. We had a checklist that we went through. We said, okay, here's, here's all the phone numbers to call in case of emergency. These are the people to call. Then we had a checklist of here's all the medical cards and the you know, permission slips that if something happened, you gotta go to the emergency room or, or whatever, here's all the information. And then we would say, okay, on Tuesday night, make sure you take the trash bins out to the street. And then after you come home from school on Wednesday, put them back away. And, and we gave them all these lists, checklists, right? Parents, can you, can you, you know, understand what I'm talking about here? And, you know, it was longer than that. I'll just give you a few. But the last one was the most important on the list. Get along. Right? Get along. Because we're leaving, but we will be back. And, and I don't know if you've got teenagers in the room here. You try to fake your parents out. Moms always find out. Amen. That's right. Moms always find out. So, Get along, get along. Go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're just joining us, we're finishing this series called uh, Preparing for Christ's Return. We're going through First Thessalonians. We've talked about how there's a theme in this book that as Christ gets ready to come back, the persecution will increase. Uh, we, we, we looked at uh, uh, Matthew 24, all the prophecies that Jesus uh, mentioned in that chapter and, and kind of paralleled it with this little book. Uh, Paul also said, hey, hey, be prepared. You know, you don't, don't be embarrassed. Be blameless. That when Jesus comes back, we talked about you live for Jesus today as if you would see Jesus tomorrow. We even talked about it was God's will. Paul says it's God's will. And this is crazy. Pre- preparing for Christ's return, it's God's will that we are sexually sanctified. That we have self-control in the sex area of our life. And we, and we talked about, if you want to hear, about how the first century church began to slowly revolutionize the Roman Empire by just obeying that passage, which made no sense in that Roman Greek world, just like today in our American culture, it makes no sense to save yourself for marriage and be faithful and all this. That sounds crazy, and it sounded crazy in the first century, but they, they believed it and they did it, and it actually began to turn the tide in the Roman Empire. And then and we talked about how we can have hope if we know Christ, when, even when death visits our doorway, that we have hope because of Christ's resurrection. And then last week, I felt like, I don't know how it felt like out there, but I felt like I was just fire hosing you with information about the rapture of Christ and the second, you know, when, when he takes us to heaven and all the things that must take place. And I don't know how many of you have seen the Avengers. I played a little clip. Maybe you went home after church and watched that, that movie. And, and show, show, I just showed pictures of UFOs and just kind of let it hang there. Uh, of explanation, but we had a, a, a great time last last uh, Sunday. It's all from First Thessalonians. But now Paul is finishing this little letter, and he ends with a checklist that this is how you are to live, and this is how you are not to live while Jesus is gone, but he's coming back. This is what you're to do. This is what you're not to do. You know, it's like, it's like a parent. You're like, check, 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 check. I'm coming back. Jesus is coming back. Watch how you live. 
Here's what to do, here's what not to do. So I'm going to read through this and then we'll, we'll do something a little different in my teaching today. Um, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 5, Paul writes this. He says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And he will come back. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. I love that verse when I was a teenager. <clears throat> I charge you, therefore, before the Lord to have this letter, letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's a long list there. And when I was studying this a number of weeks ago, and I was going through the list, I always pray, God, what do you, what do you want me to say? I mean, I'm, I'm just the messenger. I'm not the message. If you don't tell me what to say, then I'm wasting everybody's time. It's just hot air. What do you want me to say? And as I was going through this, I, I just looked at it, and I looked at all of what happened in and through and continuing today with COVID and all that entails. In my observation... What I've seen, what I've heard, what I've experienced, is that in the church, not just our church, but churches across America, most of the things on this checklist failed to happen, failed to live up to the checklist. It's been, it's been, been a harsh reality. And, and Christians, and if you're a believer, this is for you. This is for us. This is non-negotiable. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you can relax, take a deep breath, and watch Christians get uncomfortable in the room. This is talking to Christians. Say, here's the things that I want you to do and not do before Jesus comes back. And to see in the last year and a half, two years, how people have treated each other, how Christians have treated each other, how they've responded, the choices that they've made, uh, acting out of fear and not trusting in God. I mean, it just goes down the list and it's like, wow, fail, 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 fail. And so many of this, of this list. And I believe the failure rate has been high. If we're going to be honest, and I like being honest, as uncomfortable as it is, to look in the mirror of Scripture, to be honest, I think the failure rate was triggered by stress. Stress of the unknown, Stress of change, stress of forced change, like we're not going to teach your kids, you got to teach them. Forced change, you can't go to work. You don't have a job. 
I mean, all sorts of stress. Why do I say this? Is because when we are stressed, we tend to treat those closest to us not very good. It's almost like it's an excuse because I'm married to you, because you're my family, because we're friends, because we go to the same church. It's almost like I don't have to be kind anymore. I don't have to do what's right. It's like I can just like throw up all over you and, and she's like, you're, it's fine. And, and we're going to go through this list. It's like, no, it's not fine. We are walking billboards of Jesus Christ. Either we're going to be good advertisers or poor advertisers. And it's a shame to say that many, many of the, in the Christian world, COVID has sifted out the fakes and the frauds and the cultural Christians and to see how we have treated each other. If Paul was here, he'd say, to our shame. So I'm not going to try to just like point the finger and stuff. I'm going to say, hey, myself included, we're going to go through this list and say, okay, where are we doing good? Keep, that, keep on that path. Uh, where we need improvement, make some changes. Make some changes. So uh, I've changed my title from final checklist to stress test checklist. How, what, how we test when we're under stress. So what are we going to do? So I'm going to walk through this passage. We're going to go over this passage, and you get to rate yourself. Okay, if you've if you got notes in the programs, you can do that. Uh, if you've got it on your, on your phone, you can do that. Um, if you don't, just mentally do this. By the way, I'm not going to check. So don't lie. You're in church. Lightning can go through this building. No, this is just an honest, come on, let's be honest. I think, I think Christianity would be more attractive to people who don't follow Christ if Christians would just be honest. Did I get an amen on that one at all? Let's just be real. We're not perfect. We, we struggle. And if you think pastors don't struggle, you haven't been around us often enough. We all struggle. So I'm not going to, you're not going to turn in your pages to me, all right? It's just you and, you and God, all right? Now let's back up to verse, verse 12. Paul says this, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, talking just to believers, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. That word acknowledge in the Greek is like, it's like you, you are appreciating and, and respecting those who are over you spiritually. It says acknowledge those, respect, appreciate those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord. This is spiritual leaders in your life, spiritual leadership in the church who care for you. Interesting word uh, for care. Uh, it, it means to, to have charge of. It's like you, they're responsible for you in the Lord. There, there's verses in the Bible that talk about pastors and elders that we will face God and give an account for how we shepherd and how we led. I mean, that's the sobering to me. It's like, okay. So respect and, and appreciate those who are over you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Uh, that, that is not fun. The word monish is to warn you. It, it's to, to call us out, uh, ourselves included, to, to communicate hard things. And we all know as, as good friends or even as a parent that you have to say some hard things sometimes. If you know, okay, I, I, I'm saying this because I love you. I'm not saying this to, be, to hurt you. I'm not saying this to be mean to you. 
but there's times we do need admonishment and that and as spiritual leaders, um, that, that happens. And he says, this is how you to treat them. And overall, he says this, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, this is in the passage. This is not self-serving, you know. These are the passages I like to just bypass, but um, if I would have just jumped to, you know, verse Verse 14, and we'll start there. That, that's, that's a dereliction of duty on my, on my part. But again, in all honesty, 2020 and 2021 so far have been dark days for spiritual leaders. Very difficult days. Uh, the resignation um, percentage of pastors um, are super high in our, in our country. Um, but I look at not just the pastors in our church, but also our elder board. Um, we've, we've had to make a ton of tough decisions those last two years. Not fun at all. And as a result, lots of strong accusations against us. I mean, we've been accused during the, during the early throes of COVID. You don't care about people getting sick. You don't care about people dying. It's like, Really? That is so far from the truth. And then when there's government, you know, state, you know, our governor gives mandates. Everybody had an opinion. But as spiritual leaders, let me just tell you, kind of lift the curtain. We went into elder meetings with this as our focal point. How do we respond to this mandate from Scripture? What, and we actually had Bible studies in our elder meeting. Well, what does this mean? And I just want to say how proud I am to serve with a, with a bunch of just normal guys who love Jesus and love their church, but are called to a position of spiritual leadership and how seriously they took that role. But I, I tell you what, we learned right off the bat, there is no win here. And every decision we made we walked out of that room with peace that we're doing our best to honor God and his word, knowing that was gonna tick off a percentage of people in our church, and it did, and they left. It was either they left the church or they applauded the decision. It, there was no in between. So we learned out of the gate, I've been telling our staff this, that it, there's no win here, but we have to make decisions. Lots of heated opinions at every point. People left the church, accusations like I've never experienced in my life. So, you know, what do you do? Well, you just try to obey God and just keep moving forward and doing the best you can. That's why we published when we made a big decision and, uh, with a government mandate from our, for our, from our governor, and we posted it online. This is the decision, and here's the biblical reasons why. We, we never expect everybody to agree with us. We had, we had great conversations, but it always came back to Scripture. And that, that I'm so proud of that. So moving forward, if you take the test, right, we're going to take the test right out of the gate here. Um, how are you doing in appreciation and respect for your spiritual leaders in your life? How, how, are, how are you doing in that area? Are you doing good or uh, need improvement? I got I to do an adjustment with my attitude. I think it's good. It's interesting that Paul started here. But you got to understand, in the context here, they were being persecuted. They were being killed. 
by Nero the emperor. So it's interesting as he's saying, okay, you're going to have persecution. We talked about that. It's going to increase. But before Jesus comes back, don't turn on each other. Which leads us to the next part of this section is he says, live in peace with each other. Live in peace. Again, in context, first century, they were running for their lives at times. They were hiding. If, you, if, if they found out you were a follower of Jesus, you either were arrested or you lost your job or you even could lose your life. Your family was in danger. It was not a popular thing to be a follower of Jesus. And so Paul is telling them, I understand you're facing stress. I understand that the government is making decisions that are, are not in the favor of Christians. Honor and respect and appreciate your leaders, but also live at peace with each other, not only with your spiritual leaders, but in the body. And here's what happened out of, out of COVID. There was so many opportunities for division, and it happened, sadly. Divided churches, it divided marriages, it divided families. People lost friends over how can any Christian vote for Trump? Well, then how can any Christian vote for Biden? Dividing line. Early on, you need to wear a mask, but I don't want to wear a mask. Dividing line. Social distancing at church. I don't want that. I'm not going to come or I'm going to leave. No, we were you know, back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. Church is open. Churches need to stay closed. Singing in church, no singing in church. You tracking with me? How many opportunities to dividing that divided the, the church and it happened? Now, vaccine or no vaccine? Living at peace doesn't mean you agree with everybody. It means you're choosing to live at peace. I mean, go look at the keyboard of a piano. There's all different keys and different colors. And you just start banging it, it sounds horrible, but you put it all together in harmony and they're different keys making different sounds. It can sound beautiful when it's, because it's in harmony, it's in peace. And sad is even in own homes and in churches, there's been all sorts of dividing lines. And most of it, this is just my opinion, I wish I could give you a chapter and verse, most of it is along political lines and not Bible-based. Again, I've seen Christians who they, they viewed uh, Romans 13 differently. And at first we said this, and then we looked, hey, let's look, dig a little deeper in Romans 13 of, about honoring the government of, ahead of us. And we had a deep dive in, in the scripture and, and came, to some, uh, came to some decisions with that. But most of the dividing lanes were political, not scriptural. I think if Paul was going to talk to the American church, he'd go, I'm sad. What kind of testimony have we been communicating to those who do not know Jesus Christ? I would say it's kind of ouch, and hopefully it, it improves. Guess what? The division opportunities will not change, but our hearts and attitudes should. All right, let's get, jump back in to this passage all right, here's, here's the test list, living at peace. Um, do you have conflict in all the relationships or do you work things through? Doing good, need improvement. 
And with people, it's always room for improvement. Constantly. If you're married, guess what? There's always room for improvement. All right, go back in the passage. He says this, and we urge you, continues to the next thing, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Warn those. And this is not like, I'm, I want to encourage you. No, it's like, hey, 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 warn those who are idle. What does idle mean in the context? It means they're not working. They're not working. And disruptive is, actually, it's a, it's a, in the Greek word, it's, it's a, it's a military word for a soldier who won't stay in their rank. And the phrase that we have in America today is stay in your lane, right? Stay in your lane. And when we're disruptive, it's like, no, I don't want to stay in my lane. I want to be in their lane. You know, and now there's cars going everywhere. It's interesting, though, Paul wrote this in the first letter. Hey, warn those who are idle and disruptive. He wrote a second letter to this same church, and guess what he brings up again? Chapter three, we hear that some of among you are idle and disruptive. And it gets a little more specific. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Not busy, meaning you're not working. Therefore, you have more time and you're not staying in your lane. There, there is... If you're a follower of Jesus, not just in this passage, but other passages, if you are physically able to work and you are choosing not to work and you're choosing to take handouts, government handouts or whatever, as a Christian, you're out of line with scripture. That is not fun for me to say, but it's true because I didn't write it. If you're physically able to work, go to work. Yeah, but I'm getting more to stay home. Is God going to meet your needs or are you going to depend on the government to do that? Bible says work. Bible says work. Then stay in your lane versus busy by. So let's take your self-test here. How are you doing with being disruptive and busybody? Now, let me just say this. Don't go, yeah, I'm doing really good at being disruptive. <laughs> I'm doing really good with getting other people's business. No, no, no. This is what we're not to do. Are you not doing this? Yeah, I'm doing good. Or are you doing it? I need improvement. Then Paul says this, not just warn, now encourage. Encourage. Encourage the disheartened. uh, disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's tough. Some of you are like, man, I'm going to fail that right now. Patient with everyone? Those who have lost heart, they are discouraged. Interesting definition is too few resources to meet the situation, ready to give up. They're not strong, they're weak, they're struggling. They're struggling. Several months ago, a young wife and mom in our church had her husband just walk out. Announced, I'm leaving, choosing someone else, divorce. All these little kids and her. To see how her life group and her friends here at church came around her and loved her 
seeing comments going, hey, if you ever need me to come pick up the kids so you can have time, give me a call, reach, reach out to me. It's just surrounding with love and practical care. It's like just beautiful. And the, and the beauty of that is not only the actions, but because this mom is engaged in her church, she now ha- she has resources of people who know her, who love her, who know her kids, who love her kids to come around. Now we got a, we got a, a bunch of new, new people coming to Grace Point. Maybe you're checking it out. I think you should be wise, your choice, find a church that teaches God's word and fits you and your family. Those are the two things. But if you just come to a service and you leave, you're attending church, you're not engaged in church. And our vision Sunday, word for the year, challenges us to be engaged. I even talk about stop attending church, be engaged. Because when you're engaged, yeah, it's hard at times, but when life hits the fan, because you're engaged, you have opportunity to be blessed and you have opportunity to bless others. And encourage those who have lost heart. Help those who are struggling. And be patient with people that always need patience. All right, if you take the test, how are you doing in this area? See, if you look at these three in yellow, they're outward focused. When we are struggling, it's very easy for us to be inward focused. But if you stay there, if you stay inward focused, you actually get worse. You start feeling sorry for yourself or starting, no one cares about me. You start complaining and all this. But when we're outward focused, get your eyes off yourself. Look, how can I be a blessing to someone else? It actually helps your, your attitude and your mood. Your circumstance may is still difficult, but your, everything changes when you start looking, how can I be a blessing to someone else? So do you even have eyes to see that? Encouraging, helpful, and patient with others. Maybe some of you said, okay, I'm doing pretty good with encouraging and helpful, but patient, I need improvement. By the way, never pray for patience. Don't ever, ever pray for patience. God will go, okay, I'll give you opportunities. I learned that a long time ago. Encourage, encourage them. Then he says this, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always striving to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. It, it, when, when someone wrongs us, there's something in our sinful DNA that's like, oh yeah, back at you. You talked bad about me, I'm gonna talk bad about you. You, you, you know, did this to me, I'm gonna do it back to you times five. Here Paul's writing to people who have been wronged by the Roman Empire. It's not fair. And persecution, getting jailed, losing your job. And he's saying to them, yeah, I get you. you, you've been wronged, but don't pay back wrong for wrong. Strive, I mean, that's hard, all right? It's not gonna come easy. Strive to do what is good. Try to do what is right. All of us have been wronged. And I believe we're seeing in our own country, as we get closer to Jesus coming back, it's going to be more unfair for followers of Jesus than ever in our lifetime. Plan on it. 
There's, a, there's evil forces that, that, that hate everything about Jesus and God's word. So let's stop complaining about how unfair it's getting. Guess what? It's going to get worse. Isn't that encouraging? You can leave today. It's going to get worse. But if you compare ourselves to the first century, we, they would look at us and go, you have problems? Seriously? Get a grip. They're being hunted down like, like animals. But in this, he's talking to believers. Yeah, you, maybe you, you got hurt by someone in the church. Guess what? You probably hurt someone at some time too. Don't turn it around and like, because I've been wronged, back at you. How we treat each other and also people that work, that don't know Jesus, people in our neighborhood, even in your own family. Be a positive walking billboard for Jesus and how we respond. So the test, take the test. How are you doing in this area? Being vengeful? Really? Vindictive? I, I just keep going back to that verse as Jesus says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. Sometimes we think, well, well it doesn't apply in this situation. Jesus knows every thing that we've done wrong, he still forgives us. How are you doing in this area? Now, this is interesting. He just goes like a shotgun of all these little things. Now he says this, rejoice always. Okay, it's one little verse. If you have a hard time memorizing scripture, there you go. Start with this one right here. <laughs> it's two words, right? Rejoice when things are going good. Is that what it says? No. Rejoice what? Always. Man, we have a hard time with that. And then you look at other examples, and we're convicted because we want to complain. I don't got any Wi-Fi. <laughs> Gas is going up. In June, on America's Got Talent, a Christian rocked the show. His name's Jane. Right now, she's on her third bout of reoccurring breast cancer. The survive, survivable rate that she was being given was 2%. When her husband found out that she had cancer again, he walked out. And she gets on, America's Got Talent, and there's just joy. Even some, uh, one of the guys, even one of the judges said, man, you just look so vibrant. You're, and he was really describing was joy. And then she said, oh, yeah, I, I got cancer. <laughs> and then she wrote a song called It's Okay. Boat overnight, number one song on iTunes. I did some more research on her and the, the interviews that she, she, she received. And I was one interview because she's from Ohio, so one of her uh, the, a uh, news station near, near her home, interviewed her and stuff. And she said, yeah, I, I, got, I, you know, I got cancer again. And they're saying it's 2%. And she goes, but it's not like I have no chance. I got 2%. And she mentioned about her husband leaving. And the person goes, are, are, are you bitter? She goes, no, actually, that's the part of the greatest miracle. I'm not bitter. It's okay. It was such a contrast we're so easy to complain, right? 
But here's Paul saying, rejoice always. There's always something to rejoice about if we want to look for it. And this is a crazy, just an amazing example of Jane. And she has her nickname was, I think, Nightbird, because in her darkest days, all of a sudden some birds came and, you know, birds like singing in the morning and it was at night and they're singing at her window. And she was like, okay, that's God. That even in my darkest hours, she talked about her faith in Jesus. And she goes, I can see Jesus everywhere. Can you? Oh, you can if you open your eyes. I can if I open my eyes. But so many of us, we just want to concentrate our problems. So Paul says, Rejoice always. He's telling this to persecuted Christians on the run, some of them in hiding. So, how are we testing on this? Rejoicing more than complaining? Uh oh, we're in trouble. If you go back for the past year and look on your Instagram and your Facebook post, is it more rejoicing or complaining? And I get it, parents, I get it. Just the thought that there won't be school again and they're back in your house, you're like, I love my children, but there's a reason why animals eat their young. I get that, okay? I get that. You know, and are they gonna have masks? I, I get all that, I get the real frustrations. This is where, just to take this example. Rejoice that you still have kids at home. And your kids are alive. As someone in our church, they had to bury their kids in the last year. So st- do, do what you need to do with, with the right attitude. But hopefully you'll have, find more things to rejoice. Because it's so easy to complain. So, real quick, <laughs> rejoice always. Another one, pray continually. There's another verse you can memorize. You can re- memorize two verses today. Okay? And the old King James, I learned it is like, <laughs> rejoice without ceasing. That means you're having a constant conversation with God. They're having a constant conversation with God. That then when you go to bed, you're like, hey, God, this, this, and this, and that. And you wake up, you say, hey, God, praise you for this, praise you for that, help me with this. If you don't know what to pray for, to say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, help us with, help us with. Thank you, Lord, help, uh, help, help, help me. Thank you, Lord, help me. Help, thank you, Lord, help me. It's just a constant conversation. Now, I talk to God all the time, and I promise you, when I'm driving, I have my eyes open. But I'm talking to God. There's times I'm yelling back at God because I'm ticked off at God. Ticked off at God. Prayer is just honest communication from your heart to God's. So let's test this out. How, how you do, have you done the last year and a half praying more than worrying? This old hymn, Why Worry When You Can Pray? It's a new hymn in America. Why pray when you can worry? Pray more than worrying. There's always reasons to worry. And whenever you worry, that makes, you should make you run to praying more. Praying more than worrying. And I think this fits the next passage, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
for this is God's will for you. Interesting, in this, in this little book, it says it is God's will for you to be sexually sanctified. God is really concerned about our, our sexual self-control. Because it's a huge, huge statement about our faith. But then in the second time, he says, this is God's will for your life. This is what God wants for you. Be thankful in all circumstances. Someone who is thankful um, typically t- is, a, is a, a, a tell, right? A, a tell, a giveaway that they're walking with Jesus. The more you are, the closer with Jesus, the more you just are thankful. If you're rarely thankful, probably not walking with Jesus like you should. The closer we are with Jesus, it's like, oh my God, there's so many things to be thankful for. We're walk, we don't walk with Jesus and we're not thankful at all. So here's a test. How are we doing? Are you consistently thankful and grateful? Consistently thankful and grateful? It is God's will. I mean, that's just pretty clear. What does God want from me? Be thankful all the time, in all circumstances. Yeah, but I just got hurt over here. You can still find things to be thankful for. But God, it's not fair. Fairness stopped in the Garden of Eden. So we need to get over that. He's getting close to the end. He says this, do not quench the spirit. Quench is like putting out a fire, smothering. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers, that, that helps us and guides us and directs us and convicts us of sin and illuminates Scripture. And, and he, he's, that, he's that voice that's telling us what God wants us to hear. And, and, and it never will contra- uh, contradict Scripture. And I know when it's the Holy Spirit because it says something that I know God would want me to hear. But when I hear Satan say, you need to do this, I'm like, God would not want me to do that. So that's not the Spirit of God. That is Satan. But when we quench the Holy Spirit, it means we're listening and obeying. So when he tells us, um, turn the channel or turn the TV off, we do that. Or don't click on that. And we don't click on that. Okay, I know you want to say that. Just shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. And you shut your mouth. Okay, you just got paid. Give God back first. Honor God with your tithe and offerings first. So here's the test. Ignoring the Holy Spirit and doing what I want. That's when we quench the Spirit. We hear him give us guidance that God wants us to do, and we just ignore him. And we just do what we want. Are you doing... Doing good of not ignoring him and doing what he wants, or you need improvement, like, eh, I just do what I want. You'll quench the spirit. Then it's verse 20. He says this do not treat prophecies with contempt. Contempt. Contempt means, like, despise it, doesn't carry any weight, doesn't matter. I don't, I don't care. If you are online and you are physically able and healthy and you should come to church, you need to gather. That's what the church definition actually means. We should probably do what the the word means, gather. Maybe if you've never been here, but you're not engaged. You've been on your phone the whole time. You've been checking this and that and how the Olympics are doing and reading something else. Really, you're saying, I got a whatever attitude when it comes to the word of God. Whatever. 
whatever. When it comes to what God says, it's not just here's, here, the rapture's coming, foretelling. It's also that word prophecy also means what God word, what God word says. What attitude do we have? And then the last list, he says this. Um, the verse says something. Yes. <clears throat> he says, test them all, hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. We get a lot of information. Oh, this is from God. This is, and this, I don't think this is from God. We need to test them and grab onto what is good and, and reject what is evil. This is not from God. This is not in Scripture. So this, this is the test. This is the last one. How are you with having a biblical filter in your life? You f- f- funnel everything through Scripture. We had a series a year before COVID hit called uh, Biblical, uh, called Filter Biblical Worldview. Um, last, this past March, I felt led by God to do part two of that, part two of a biblical worldview. Um, and what we're going to do is take hot issues and put them through the filter biblically. Abortion, homosexuality, transgender, and critical race theory. I was just learning about critical race theory. Even now, the last month has blown up. A lot of controversy. I was like, God, do I move that series up? Nope. Don't run from the Book of Revelation series in September. (laughs) So we're going to do that. Biblical filter. He finishes with this. Wraps it up. Says, may God. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through every area of your life. Sanctify you. Set apart for God, obeying God in every area of your life. And may God, may, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept, and one of the themes of this book, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live in such a way for Jesus today as if you'll see him tomorrow. Be blameless in every area of your life. And with that, he closes out this little book that is jam-packed with how to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. So if you look through your list, are you prepared? Are you living for Jesus in these practical ways as if Jesus would come up or show up today or tomorrow? Because he is coming back. He says he's faithful. He will do it. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for even as this kind of boom, 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 kind of almost like a firing range of things to do and not do, preparing for your return. Lord, I can tell it's been uncomfortable to some. I pray that you would help your word talk to us and that we would take the areas that we need improvement on and begin making changes and line up with your teaching of your word, your truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this, uh, if you, at the end of the service, we'll have some discussion questions on the screen. If you are a guest today, we have a gift for you at guest services. And we started the service with a little video saying our smile packs are back. We get to bless some orphan kids around the world with some school supplies. Grab some smile packs in the lobby, fill it up. Uh, Do the school supplies, not the medical school supplies. Bring them back to church next Sunday so we can bless hundreds of children around the world. Have a great day.